I remember a moment in my life when, for the first time in my spiritual pilgrimage, I understood something of what that song meant. I stood out under a tree at a youth camp that I was leading and said to God, God, there are things in my life that you don't have control over that I think are mine or I think are my rights or I deserve it. And so, Lord, these things I give to you. And he had mentioned two things specifically to me. And I said, I I give them to you. You know, it is easy for us to want something other than God in our lives. We are such a blessed people. We're such a blessed nation, and we've got so much to be thankful for. But you know, I'm learning something as I get older, and I hope I don't stop learning it. The reason why the gospel is spreading in third world countries is because those people have nothing and they're desperate. The reason the gospel is dying in America is because we've got everything and have not acknowledged the source of all those things. We've got so much we don't need God. We can buy it, refinance it to get it, set it up. I mean, we'll find some way to do it. I mean, every one of us have at some point in our lives and probably in the last month to six weeks have said something like this, boy, I really want that. And we've even tried to figure out in our minds, not only I want it, but how am I going to get it? What are those monthly payments going to amount to? What is that going to, what's it going to take for me to get that? Because there's something everybody wants. I don't care if you're a child and you've got your list for Santa Claus at Christmas or a teenager and you want a date or you want your first home or you want a good retirement or you want your kids to get out of the house and not come back. I don't care what it is. Every one of us has said, I want something. And sometimes we pursue that to our detriment. And when we get it, we find out it doesn't satisfy us. When we come to the Beatitudes, we find satisfaction, the blessed life. There's not a one of us that doesn't want God to bless us and does not want a life that is blessed by God. But God's way of giving us a blessed life is diametrically opposed to the way that the world says that you have a blessed life. I want to tell you, I have been inside Trump Towers. I have seen Donald Trump within six feet on the streets of New York. He's got nothing I want. And what he's got, I don't need. But what I've got, if he doesn't get it, he'll go to hell. I think I'm a more blessed man than Donald Trump because what I've got cannot be taken away from me and I can't lose it. I don't 
have anything like what he's got. But I've never envied what he's got. All I see is a lot of brass that has to be polished to keep his name up before people because he doesn't have any security other than the security he can buy himself. Jesus said, if you want to be blessed, quit thinking the way the world thinks. Quit looking at the people that the world says, oh, they're so honored and they're so gifted and they're so blessed. They're not blessed, they're miserable. They keep trying to buy their blessings. They keep trying to hope that something or somebody will come along and then they will feel blessed. But Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now remember, we're climbing a ladder here. First rung is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The second, Blessed are those who mourn, who repent over their sin. The third is, the Blessed are the gentle or the meek, those who respond in God's way, who don't scream for their rights, who do not have arrogance about their lives, but they're humble before God. And now we come to this one that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And in this, we develop an appetite for God. Not only acknowledging that I'm bankrupt spiritually, but now acknowledging I want something to fill me up. I want something to satisfy me. And so the first question is this. Are you hungry and thirsty? Are you hungry and thirsty? Now, you and I know that you are what you eat. That's frightening, isn't it? That means that I'm a hamburger with no onions, an order of fries, and a cheesecake. That's about the summation of my life. And we all, not we all, I'm just getting at that point. I mean, I'm at the point, you know, where when the doctor looks at me, he just goes, Are you walking? No. Are you exercising? No. You know it's not going to get any better unless you do something about it. I know. I know. But I'm not desperate enough to do it yet. As long as I can pick myself up from the table, I feel like I'm healthy. I'm just not there yet. You know, as long as I don't have to go to the big and tall, if I can just go to the men's department, I'll be okay. And the doctors tell us, you know, what you eat, when you eat, how you eat determines how healthy you are. Well, that's true in the spiritual realm too. And and what Jesus gives us here on this ladder is not a cafeteria line where you go through and say, okay, you know, I'll buy a little poor in spirit, but I tell you, that meekness, I, I just want to go around. Let's go around meekness and I'll get over here to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I'll take just about a half a portion of that. Now, I don't want the full platter. I just want a half of it. This is not a cafeteria line where you pick and choose, get what you want. Jesus is telling us, if you want a blessed life, you've got to take it all. You've got to eat every bit of it. You've got to take it all in if you want God to bless you to the fullness. You, you cannot bypass these things. Now, the first three are passive. Poor in spirit, mourning, and gentleness. They, they are passive. They describe who we are, who blessed people are. Blessed people are those who have acknowledged this. I can't save myself. I can't fix my problems. I'm grieved over what my sin has done to God. And because I recognize who I am, I have gentleness and meekness 
toward other people. The, the next one is active. When I hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's describing what I'm doing in light of what I am. Because I am poor in spirit, because I mourn, because I'm meek, now I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now there are a number of verses there in front of you. You can go ahead and turn your note page. I just want to read one of them. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Do you realize that today you are as close to God as you want to be? You've got all of God you want. You see, God does not pick favorites and say, okay, this half of the room, I'm going to let you get closer to me than this half. They can't get any closer. God says, whosoever will may come. God calls us into fellowship with him. The three that went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration did not go because they were favorites or because their personalities were better than the other nine. They were called to that mount because they had in themselves a desire to want more of God than they had. Now, here's the deal. God always meets us at the point of our desire. God meets us at the point of our desire. And God will meet you at the level of your appetite. If all you want is a taste of it, you'll never get it. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be blessed. Let me give you some, some ideas here that you need to think about. Dead people do not have an appetite. And if you have no appetite for the things of God, if there's no hunger in your heart to know God, to know His Word, to pray, to study the Scriptures, to, to grow and mature in your faith, if there's no hunger for that, then I would encourage you to ask yourself the question, have you ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus comes into a man or a woman's heart, He changes their appetite. And a dead person has no appetite, and until you are made alive into God, you'll have no appetite for spiritual things. That's why a lost person can sit in church or sit in a crusade or sit in an event or go to a concert and be totally unaffected unless the Spirit touches them because they have no appetite for God. But now, let's say you're saved and you used to have a greater appetite than you have now. There was a day in your life when you read the Scriptures more, when you were more faithful, when you spent more time in prayer, when your walk with God was stronger. But now it's just not where it's supposed to be. You've lost your appetite. I would say to you that you have a spiritual illness that you need to get treated. When I have a cold or when I have the flu and my sinuses are congested and my head's hurting and my throat's hurting and I've got cough and I've got pain and, and I've put all the Vicks on that I can put on and I've taken all the medicine I can take and I've taken all the Advil I can take, you know, somebody could come to me and say, hey, let's go get a steak. And I'd go, no, thank you. It doesn't sound good to me right now. Because I can't enjoy it. I can't taste it. I can't smell it. it. It wouldn't matter what was going on. It wouldn't matter what you offered. I would have no appetite for it because I'm sick. I don't feel like eating. Do y'all get that way or do you just eat anyway? I mean, when I get sick, I just do not feel like eating anything. And when I'm sick spiritually, when other things have taken my attention 
and attacked me and I've let them come into my life, when some spiritual virus has come into me, then all of a sudden I lose my appetite for spiritual things. And so God's people can have an unhealthy appetite or no appetite for God. But we are supposed to have an appetite for Him. And when I lose my appetite for God, it says something about what's wrong with me. The Laodiceans, Jesus accused them and He said, You say we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Too often we walk into God's house thinking we don't really need anything, but it's just good that we're here. We've just honored the Lord by being here, but we don't really need anything or want anything or desire anything from God. That's the way the Laodiceans were. Now let me tell you the characteristics of hunger. First of all, it's a sign of life. We've talked about the dead don't have an appetite. If I have a hunger for God, it's a sign that I have spiritual life. If you're doubting your salvation, just ask yourself, do I have any hunger in my life for God? That's a sign of life. Secondly, it's a sign of health. When I'm hungry, it's a sign that I'm healthy. When I desire the things of God, then I am healthy. If I don't desire those things, I'm spiritually sick. Secondly, is my hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, we can hunger for the wrong things. Jesus said in John 4, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Is your hunger and thirst for righteousness? Not for church, not for events, not for programs, not for stuff. You can be caught up and filled up with religious stuff, and religious stuff is like cotton candy. It gets in your mouth and it tastes good, but then it's gone. And you can get stuff, and you can get religion, and you can get something that you think will satisfy you, but it doesn't last. That's why so many Christians are jumping from event to event and church to church and conference to conference and concert to concert because they're looking for something that will satisfy them spiritually and not looking for the one that will satisfy them. They're hoping that they'll get satisfied at a Christian concert whether it be a mosh pit with a teenager or a Gaither homecoming, hoping that if I go, suddenly I'll get wrapped up into God. That's not going to change you. That's a nice little supplement, but it's not substance. You have to go for substance, and my hunger has to be for God. Here's my problem and your problem and our problem. We want God but we just want a little bit of him. You seen these bags of candy? Now you can get all this candy in bite-sized portions. Let me tell you how dumb the American public is. We think, I'm not going to buy the 12 fat gram candy bar. I'm going to buy the bite-sized portion and eat half of it and eat another one, and another one, another one. And before long, I look on the back, and the contents of that bag says, one serving is four bite-sized portions, which equals 12 fat grams. Let's see, I just ate 14. <laughs> but they were that small. You see, what we want is we want a little bit of God, just a little taste of God. We, we like God in bite-sized portions. 
But if we are going to have a blessed life, then we have to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Not the kind of righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus said your righteousness has to exceed all of that stuff, which is mostly negative. But there's a positive desire in my life for the things of God. Mark Twain, I I love to read Mark Twain. He said, having spent considerable time with good people, I understand why Jesus liked being with tax collectors. It's not just trying to be a little more moral or a little better than my neighbor. This is about a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I want to ask you to put your thinking cap on very quickly here, and we're going to take a little Greek lesson. And this won't take long, and I think you can survive it if you just hang on here. Normally, these words, if you were saying someone was hungering or thirsting after someone, if you read it literally in the Greek it would read something like this. To have a hunger for of bread or have a thirst for of water. That would be the genitive case. That would be normally where you would find anything hunger would be for of bread or thirsting for of water. In other words, I have a hunger for bread. I don't want every piece of bread in the world. I just want a slice I just want a portion. I want enough to fill me up. Just enough. Not all of it. I don't need the whole loaf. Let's spread it around. If bread is at your house like it is at my house, it's every man for himself. Well, I'm the only man, so it's every man and woman for themselves. And You know, I mean, you, you put rolls on the table at our house and you could forget niceties. I mean, it just goes out the window. You know, and, and I just... I. I just want one. Just leave me one. Just, just one. Just leave me one. Just one. That's all I want. Just one. And I'm satisfied. When you say, I want to drink four of water, it is saying, I want enough to quench my thirst. But you're not asking for the whole well. You're not trying to drink the whole well of water up. You just need enough to quench your thirst. Here's the difference in what Jesus does. He he changes the case of this word and he puts it in the accusative case and this is what it means. It means I want the whole loaf, I want the whole well. Now, I don't want just enough to satisfy me right now. I don't want just enough to quench my thirst right now. I want every bit that God's got for me to take in, I want to take it in. I want to drink from the artesian well. I want the living water where I'll never thirst again. I want the bread where I'll never hunger again. I don't want just God in sections and slices. I don't want him isolated in a corner. I don't want him just when I need him. I want him all the I want the whole enchilada. I mean, I want everything. Bring me the whole menu. I want everything on the plate. I want to eat it all. I want to have it all. I want to devour it all. I remember when Peter and Jetta Vadu were, were in our uh, home a few years ago. He's the pastor of a church in Romania, and he came and spoke for us, and this church is doing a great work for God. And We didn't know what to feed them because in Romania you just don't get a lot of good food. You have to drive four hours to get milk, and then it's goat's milk. Uh, you just don't have the resources that we have. You know, they, they don't understand the way we live. And I remember... We were trying to figure out, and so Terry said, well, I'll just feed them a southern-style meal. And so we had sweet potato casserole, and I'm going to make you hungry here. 
We had corn pudding. I mean, we had green beans, lima beans. We, we had everything. We just had stuff. We had bread. We had cornbread. We had, I, I forgot what kind of, we had ham and turkey and something. We just had a bunch of stuff. And I, I want to tell you, I watched them eat. I watched them eat. And when we started eating, they would only talk when they were supposed and they would just eat and just eat. And when they got through, their plate was as clean as it would have been before we put any food on it. And so being nosy Americans, we had to ask the question, Peter, did you know what you were eating? Not one thing, but I liked it. Not one thing, but I liked it. He said, even if I hadn't, it would have been rude of me to come to your house and not eat what you put before me. You know what, folks? It's rude of us to come to God's house and not eat what he puts before us. And when we hear something we don't like, a sermon we don't like, a style we don't like, we go, Lord, I, I don't want that. And you only want God on your terms. You only want God that looks like you and acts like you. But you see, he says we are to hunger and thirst for everything that is possible in the righteousness of God for our lives. Not just a little bit of love, not just a little bit of kindness, not just a little bit of patience, but all of it covering our lives that we are not satisfied with snacking at God's table. We want to feast at God's table. This is not about hit or miss, up and down, looking for experiences. This is about a lifestyle and a longing for God and not being satisfied unless we feast at His table. Here's a prayer I would encourage you to pray. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, here's a prayer I would encourage you to pray. Lord, make me as holy as a forgiven sinner can be. Lord, make me as holy as a forgiven sinner can be. Lord, put me in Your presence in such a way that now I begin to reflect my inner appetite in external ways. Now remember, Jesus often amplifies and applies what he has said in the Beatitudes in another passage. And so I want to take you to Matthew 6 and verse 19. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is, don't put your treasure in temporal things. Don't trust in the temporary, in the things that will pass away, in the things that are vulnerable to decay and to rot. Don't put your trust in things that can be stolen. Now, in the New Testament, if you had clothes, which is what the reference to moths is, if you had clothes, that what kind of clothes you had was a sign of wealth. Now all you need is a credit card. And you can buy it on sale and pay 18% interest and end up paying $150 for that $35 shirt by the time you pay it off. Isn't this a great country? 
just so we can have somebody's name on our shirt. We advertise a lot for designers and don't do much advertising for Jesus. He says, don't, don't get something that a moth can eat up and destroy. And I, rem- I remember some young people gave me a cashmere sweater one time. And man, I love that sweater. I put it in my closet and the next year I got it out and I had four holes in it. Moths had eaten it. Never wear it again. Big old holes. I mean, one here and one on the arm and one on the back. Just eating up. Why? Because moths do that. Then he says, where neither rust will destroy. Now, the word rust there is an interesting word, and rust is really a poor translation of that word. The word is really better translated rodent or rat. Remember, this was an agricultural society, and they made their living with grains and with harvest. And he says, don't build bigger barns and better barns and Build your wealth up in in great big barns where some little rodent can slip in and eat up your profits. I remember talking to a lady one time. She said, you know, we grew up next to a cotton field. And she said, my daddy would get out with a shotgun or with a gun and he'd shoot rats in that cotton field the size of rabbits. Because they'll eat it up. They'll eat up anything. And he says, don't put your trust in those things that a rat can get a hold of and eat it up and destroy it and take it away from you. The homes of that day were easy to get into. They didn't have banks. They didn't have vaults. They didn't have security systems. They were just huts, mud and straw and and you could easily dig into it and steal it. He said, don't put your focus, don't put your heart on things that won't last. You see, the condition of my heart is determined by what I treasure in my heart. He says, don't get so caught up in beating the Joneses that you forget that the Joneses are probably going to hell. And your house is not here. Your home's in heaven. This is just the roof over your head. So don't get so impressed with your roof. And don't get so impressed with your car that one day we'll end up being driven by somebody who had to go to a loan shark to get it. Don't get caught up in all this stuff. He's not saying you can't have it. He's saying don't put your heart there. Don't make that where you find your value, where you find your worth, where your priorities are. Then he says, do you have your loyalties in the right place? Verse 24. Not only your heart in the right place, but your loyalties. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. No one means no one. Not you, not anybody before you, not anybody after you. You cannot have two masters. And I want you to look at the word that he uses there, despise the other. The word despise means to undervalue or underestimate the other. And so he says, don't undervalue, don't underestimate what God can do on your behalf. Can I say to you that I think we have undervalued and underestimated what God can do for us according to His riches in Christ Jesus? I think we've underestimated and undervalued the resources from God. And so in verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, what you eat, what you drink, nor your body or what you put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Simply put, he's saying if you're worried about what you eat, what you drink, what you put on your body, if you're worried about temporal things, then you're not going to be thinking about God. You're going to have your mind and your heart in other places. Last question, do you have your priorities in the right place? Do not worry then, verse 31, saying what will we eat or what will we drink. You see, the Lord repeated this because he knew that Baptists were going to hear it and we don't ever get it the first time. What do we eat and what do we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the pagans. He's saying when you worry about your roof over your head and you worry about what you're going to have in your cabinets and what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, when you start worrying about the necessities of life and don't trust me for them, you are acting like a pagan. That's what pagans worry about. My children shouldn't be worried about those things. They should trust me for that. And so he says, for your heavenly Father, circle the word, knows. He's not ignorant of it. You don't have to tell him what you need. He already knows that you need all these things. All what things? I need something to eat. I need something to drink. I need something to wear. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what things? Something to eat something to drink, and something to wear will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I am to make God my first priority. I am to not worry about tomorrow. That means don't be double-minded. Don't get your mind twisted up and confused, worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, we would have a lot better worship if we would leave our baggage at the door. A lot of us came to worship and we're worried about tomorrow. Ah, oh, I said, got to go to work tomorrow, got to do this, got to go here, got to travel to this, got to talk to this person, got to make this many contacts, got to make this many sales, I got to do, I got to get food, I'm going to have to refinance this, I'm, we're going to borrow that, we got to replace this, we got, ah, oh, it's, it's going to be a long, it's a long week already and I'm not even to Monday yet. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow, you may be dead for tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. If we just unload the baggage and say, Lord, I've come to worship you, I've come to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I know that whatever I've got to face tomorrow, you've already been ahead of me, and you know it, and you will supply me what I need if I'm doing what you've told me to do. You see, you can't ask God to bail you out if you're not doing what he told you to do. This is a two-way street. I hunger and thirst for him, and he meets my needs. I hunger and thirst for him, and he supplies my needs. I hunger and thirst for him, and I don't have to worry about tomorrow because whatever I face tomorrow, God has already been there and knows what it is. And he says, and if you'll do that, you'll be filled. You'll be filled. The picture is of a cow that's gotten its fill and is satisfied. That cow eats and eats and eats and eats and eats until all those stomachs inside that cow are filled and he's satisfied. When's the last time you stopped long enough to chew on your relationship with God? And not just run by church real quick, get me a little bite of this, hold me over till next week. 
but you settled down and rested in God's field and you just ate and let him fill you up until you were satisfied, not with what this world could give you, but with what he could supply for you. The choir sings a song, Whatever You Need, God Is. Well, I want to tell you something. You don't understand that song until you've had a need and until you quit trying to figure out how to fix it yourself and allowed God to fill that need in your life. God is no man's debtor. You'll never stand before God and say, God, you owe me this, you owe me this, and you owe me this. You didn't do this, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. You see, I have one thing to do, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for everything that God has for me, for everything that God wants me, not to settle for religion, not to settle for Christianity light, not to settle for a portion of God, but to have everything that He has for me in Christ Jesus. All the promises of Scripture that are mine, all the things that the Word of God says are ours in Christ are mine, but I cannot appreciate it until I appropriate it, and I can't appropriate it until I apply myself to seeking after God with my heart. His righteousness.